Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into John chapter number 14. We're going to be gleaning a lot of great stuff from the Lord's Word, so let's get to it. Father, we thank you and praise you for the blessing of this day, for the opportunity we have now to receive from your Word such riches as the glory of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We pray that you will bless us as we enter your, your word in this time together. In the blessed name of Jesus, we ask this, these things. Amen. All right, guys. Here as we dive into John chapter number 14, let's begin in verse number 1. We'll, we'll cover the first five verses. There's enough to be said right there. The scripture goes forward to say, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Again, I've said this before already in this gospel, but we have the treasure of omniscience to this situation, don't we? As we're coming into this scenario from roughly close to 3,000 years after its occurrence, <laughs> We can read ahead. We already know the end result. We know the death that is about to transpire. We understand the resurrection that's about to happen. We understand the nature of the throne room of God. We can look forward past this gospel into the book of Revelation in chapter number 4 and chapter 5. and We can see the end result of where we will be once we leave this earth. We get a glimpse in Revelation chapter 21 of that that house that is Jesus' father's house and the multitude of rooms in a 1,500-mile uh, high, 1,500-mile wide, and 1,500-mile long mansion. So we understand everything ahead of time. Unlike Thomas, we don't have to wonder what the end result will be for us. Unlike Thomas, we already have the knowledge of everything that we need to know about beforehand just because the Lord loves us and wants us to understand. So Thomas, he's getting this information from Jesus as he's talking about his death at this moment. He's talking about his burial, his resurrection. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about, he's talking about a lot of different things. But these disciples, they only had one thing in mind. See, all of these disciples' lives, they were taught about the kingdom of God. And all of these disciples' lives, they were taught about the Messiah who would come, who would take over the world, who would establish this kingdom, and who would reign over the kings of the earth with, with Israel being the principal nation that governs the world. So, you got to keep in mind that when when they they have so longed for this king and for this triumph and and Jesus is everything that they've been hoping for he's the one who's come in and and done such miracles as opening the eyes of that one that was blind and of opening the ears of those who were deaf of opening the mouths of those who were mute and the 
of, of raising up those who were lame and unable to walk and turning water into wine, of all things. He's done so many things. They've seen him walking on the Sea of Galilee, even in the midst of a storm. They, they've seen him rebuke the storm from, from his slumber at the bottom of the boat, and, and, and the storm just quits. They've seen so much from Jesus that surely this must be Messiah. But even farther than Messiah, just as was said by, by Peter, again, over there in John chapter number 6, when, when he was teaching about the bread of life and his disciples, he's like, well, I don't really fully understand this. But when Jesus came to the twelve, when he came to those guys, Peter said, who are we going to turn to and where are we going to go? He said, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. And though we don't understand everything, we do understand one thing, that you're the Messiah. So we're following you. Well, of course, that mindset is priceless, but the way in which they saw the Messiah was wholly incorrect, though. And this is the issue. It's easy to, to have an idea of a Jesus that we would want. But is that Jesus, the very Yeshua of the Bible? You see, even, even his own disciples had the image or had an idea of the Jesus that they wanted. <clears throat> Insomuch that Peter was willing to go to war, pull that, that little dagger or sword or whatever weapon he had out, and he struck off the, the priest's servant's ear. And remember, Jesus had to pick that up at the time of Jesus' arrest, which we're getting to, and put it back onto that servant's head and, and heal him right then and there, which ought to be enough for people to realize no ordinary human being can do something like that, and that Jesus chastised Peter. Well, even to that point, Peter's got it in his head. This is the king that he's going to establish his reign, that he's going to throw down Rome, that he's going to, that, that Israel is finally, from all of its captivities and all of its suffering, all of its struggles, finally going to be recognized as a world authority and leader where it was supposed to be the whole time. These guys, this is exactly what they're thinking. And so when Jesus comes in and he talks about his father's house and he talks about the mansions and he talks about a place that he's going to prepare for them and he talks about where he is, they'll be also. And he even tells them, you know the place and you know how to get there. Here comes Thomas. Now, uh, keep in mind, this is the same Thomas that we accuse for being doubting Thomas. And I argued that point. If anybody was a doubter, it was Peter. Peter's the one you find denying Christ. Peter's the one you find running away from Christ. Thomas, I see him more of, of an empirical reasoning, reasoning kind of person. An empiricist, or one who thinks empirically, often is going to be one of the senses. If I can see it with my eyes, touch it with my hands, taste it with my tongue, smell it with my nose, feel it on my skin, okay, then, then I certainly going to believe it because it's right there. It's right in front of me. But until that happens, I'm just not going to be fully convinced. Well, Jesus says right here in verse number four, he says, where I'm going, you know, and how to get there, you know. In other words, the the way that that I'm going is understood by you and where I'm going to be is understood by you. Of course, 
what is he talking about? Well, if you look back up, he says, in my father's house. Well, where's the father's house? Of course, we've already established that's the throne room of God. It's in, it's in the heavens, right? It's that, it's that new Jerusalem that, that he's been teaching about. Well, if I understood that, if I believed that there was a place reserved for me, that I have entered Christ and Christ has established a, a home for me, then why would my heart be troubled? Why would I in this life be afraid? Now, two totally different points. That doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trouble. Okay, that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trials. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through tribulations. It doesn't mean that you're you're not going to find yourself unemployed and dirt poor because you trust in Jesus, and when you share your faith, the world is going to hate you. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have to face imprisonments and all these other things that multitudes of believers all over the world have to go through every day simply because they trust in Jesus. So understand that when he says that that you don't have to let your you know your heart be be troubled it doesn't mean that you're not going to go through trouble but it does mean that you have knowledge of of your ultimate end okay everything we go through in this life is just a temporary passing you know uh, it's often said this too shall pass <laughs> because everything in this life is temporary now, some things may be for a longer period of time than we would want them to be. Some things are, are a way shorter period of time than we would want them to be. But everything passes eventually. Everything changes in this life because it's all temporary. But the child of God has permanent knowledge, infinite knowledge, if they would receive it. For we know ahead of time the very place that Jesus has prepared for us. I mean, it, it, it's glorious. It's gorgeous. All we have to do is take a step over into Revelation chapter number 21. And we can look at this, this like I said, 1,500 mile high, wide, long estate that is known as the Father's house. And that in that estate, there is prepared a room that is not just a a micro uh, apartment from Japan, but a gigantic mansion for every single one of God's children. And not only that, but each one of those places within that 1,500 miles is, is a place that is specifically prepared just for you. Jesus knows you. Jesus received you. He desires you and he establishes a home for you that is based on you because Jesus cares for you. It's, it's the whole nine yards that Jesus is for you. So he has a place just for you. And the same thing can be said for the multitudes of potential millions of believers that Jesus has established a place inside his Jerusalem where he sits as the king of kings in the midst of the, the whole of this massive structure known as the Father's house, and he's prepared a place just for you. Now, with that knowledge alone ought to be a comfort to the believer's soul. 
And that's exactly why Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, the heart that he's referring to here, you know what? Let's take a look at the heart that he's referring to here. Uh, this word heart is recognized in Greek as the word that, that says thoughts. The, the very Latin word car is, is what this word is going to come from, or cardia, which is our, obviously where we have uh, terms like cardiac arrest, uh, a cardial infraction. All of these kinds of different things are all coming from this, this word heart, cardia, and and but what it truly means is is dealing with thoughts dealing with feelings as it is so it goes much deeper than just what the brain is i, mean, I tell people all the time your brain it's simply a meat computer that's all it is it receives inputs and it and it gives outputs that's all your brain is it doesn't have an ability to feel and it doesn't have an ability to reason apart from the inputs that it's receiving or the outputs that it's giving. But it doesn't have, it's like your computer, you, your computer doesn't have an ability even to think on its own. All your computer can do is what you command it to do. That's your heart. Your heart is that which governs the whole of your flesh. And it comes from that seat of the intellect, that place where thoughts are generated, where feelings are, are born. And so when you consider this word and Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled, he, he's referring to the very simple fact that these guys in this moment are, are very turbulent they're frightened, they're concerned, they're worried, they're anxious, they're, they know something's going to happen, but of course they don't know when, they don't know how, and they don't know where. So these guys are a bundle of nerves, as we would call them. And, and Jesus, Jesus knows how, Jesus knows when, Jesus knows, Jesus knows everything, because remember, this is the omniscient Son of God. And so he knows exactly what is going to befall him. Of course, he doesn't want these things to necessarily happen. We see that 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 fluctuation, that that convergence that is in Jesus between the nature of God and the nature of his flesh. And of course, there's going to be a battle within that flesh. As it is tied to humanity, it is tied to the the lust of the eyes, it is tied to the lust of the flesh, it's tied to the desires of, of man, and so that the, the very nature of God that dwells within that flesh, praise God, being a perfect nature, unlike mankind, who though being made in the image of God, is hopelessly bound unto sin because the nature of the Father is passed on to the child. And remember, as we discover all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3, that sin entered the world because of Adam's transgression, not Eve's. And I say this also as if Adam had not eaten that fruit, then not only would sin not have entered the world, but Adam could have covered Eve. 
And, and the reason why I make this statement is because that's the very purpose behind why Jesus came, is to cover man from, from death, to cover man, to lead man away from death unto life that is found in himself, to bring mankind to a knowledge or to a light that is that life that can be had from God to man through Jesus. So we understand so at this point of time, this is the Jesus reading the nature of their hearts, seeing those feelings and that contrition that's built up inside of them, understanding the very thoughts that are be, beginning to be skewed from, from fear or from anxiety and a lot of these other things. He, he stops them in this moment, in this upper room with this feast, and he says, do not let your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God. Believe in me also. You know, the, the very point of, of having to, to, to call them back to a remembrance. And, you know, the reality is, is that we need that on a regular basis. This is the importance, guys, of going to church every week as it was. You know, you you go through a whole week of turmoil. You go through a week of of things popping up, just different things happening on the spur of a moment, lives being changed, people passing away, all kinds of different inputs that happen, most of them being a, a situation of trouble because the world we live in has gone nuts. And so we, we go through a whole week with, with all of these different inputs that bring forth an anxiety to our soul, that bring forth a a, a budding fear that would exist inside of us. And by the time we reach a Sunday, let's say, we're an absolute train wreck looking for the hope of somebody to be able to clear their tracks from the wreckage that's that's in our heart. And we, we're, we're looking for a ray of hope. We're looking for an answer. But the problem is most of the time we're looking for these answers. We're looking for this hope. We're staring at the news whenever we have a spare moment to be able to see if there's any kind of good thing that's going to come from the news. We're looking at our social media sites, and we're trying to find some kind of hope that would exist on the social media sites. And we're looking, we're looking to all of these different inputs as answers for hope, and we can't find it anywhere. The last place that we look is to Christ. Well, guys, I'm telling you, he should have been the first place that you looked. Because Jesus right here, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. He knows that Rome is a, is a wicked and evil institution, a wicked and hateful place to live. He knows the devastation that's not only happened to the believers since Rome has taken control, but also the devastations of the what's going to happen to the believers in the future when people like Caligula get into the office of emperor and people like Diocletian and Titus and Nero and all of these psychotic uh, just emperors, these Caesars, just nuts. He knows what's going to come to pass. And of course, in our omniscience of understanding history, we can look back and we can see all of these emperors and the and the, the just a vicious nature and wickedness that was rampant in their times of rulership. 
And Jesus is telling me, don't let your heart be troubled by this. We, we, we discovered this, this just insanity that exists inside of, of our culture here in the U.S. right now. And, and people just don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They're, they're scared. They're frightened. They're, they're looking for some kind of hope. And, hey, people, the believers, Christians, we're calling you out because now is your time to shine. Not to get muddled down by all of the fear tactics and all of this other junk that's going on. Raise up your voice in Christ and let the world know where it can turn in times of trouble. Praise God, this world is temporary and the things of it. And yes, times are going to get really stupidly hard because of how stupid our current government is. But that is exactly when Jesus shines the most. And that's exactly when we need to be the brightest light for Jesus. Because when everything else fails and everything else will fail, Jesus won't. Jesus won't ever let you down. Jesus won't ever stop. He won't ever quit. He, he doesn't fail. He's the Son of God. And we can fully trust in Him. And, and he's telling his disciples this. Now, granted, I mean, they're about to see some pretty heinous things happen. They're about to see the very guy that said, believe in me. They're about to see the very guy that said, don't let your heart be troubled. Be nailed to a cross and suffer in the most heinous of ways and die relentlessly under the hand of, the, of Rome. And yet, you know, these guys are going to be at a very difficult place of wondering if everything that they had hoped for and everything that they had trusted in in the last three years, if it was all for naught because of this one moment. And we, Christian, you, you got to admit this. You cannot hide from this. Often through your faith journey, you have wondered, is this worth it? Has this been what it's all about? Am I doing right? Or does the Lord even care about me? You've gone through that. You know you have. And if you think it's all been a bed of roses, you got the wrong Jesus because that's not a reality at all. And if you've never questioned then there's something wrong with you because that is a reality that exists inside of the nature of man. You say, well, uh, uh, how do you know that? Well, Peter is a great example, isn't he? Thomas is a great example, isn't he? David, the, the king, was a great example, wasn't he? Stephen Solomon questioned, wasn't that something? Uh, Samuel questioned, wasn't that something? We, we've got so many examples throughout the scripture. Remember John the Baptist sending servants to Jesus, sending his disciples to Jesus to ask him if, if he was the Christ or if they're looking for another because of the severity of, of, of suffering that he had inside of Herod's jail. People question. And it's in their questioning that they receive the most beautiful answers that come directly from God's word, directly from Jesus. And so he, he's telling his disciples, it, it, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. Now, where's Jesus going? He's going back to his father. 
He's going back to his throne room. Guys, open up to to Revelation chapter number 5, and you're going to see the Lion of Judah in in the person of the Lamb of God. (laughs) That's really exciting. Reaching up and taking the scroll from the hand of the Father, and he's the only one who was worthy to take that scroll and to loose the seals thereof. He's right there at the hand of the Father in the throne room of God between the 24 seats with the 24 elders and the Father himself. We see again in Acts chapter number 7 when when at the end of the chapter Stephen is about to die for the very faith in which he holds being stoned to death by these, these Jews that are so upset with him because of the truth that he speaks that, that they're just going to kill him. And he says, Behold, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Heaven was open and gave him the vision of exactly where he's about to be. And, of course, the Jews helped him get there pretty quick by killing him, burying him under a pile of rock. With, by the way, Saul of Tarsus keeping the coats of those who revved up to throw the stones at him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We see that there are a lot of ways in which people have have been troubled in their heart, but that God satisfies that trouble. Jesus takes that, that from them. And remember, the scripture also says, Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So vital to understand that. So Jesus, right here when he's telling him, don't let your heart be troubled. Well, let me ask you a question, Christian. Exactly why would your heart be troubled if you truly believed where you were headed? All of the crazy that's going on in the world today, all of the threats and rumors that are abroad and abounding, such as one one rumor at the beginning of the week or into last week was nuclear war imminent. We're all going to burn in nuclear war. It's all over. We're all going to die. And the Christian says, Woohoo! All right! Let's get to it! Why? Why would I fear a massive extinction level event knowing, by the way, knowing meaning believing with all of your heart the reality that as I leave this earth, I'm only to, going to be at the throne room of God in an instant? Exactly why am I afraid? of the potential of a nuclear blast at that point. But by the way, Christian, if you put a little logic to this thing, and you look at the fact that the Antichrist is looking to rule over a global kingdom, and you look at the fact that after the Antichrist loses ridiculously to Jesus, the King of Kings, and that for a thousand years he is going to establish a kingdom on this earth, there's not going to be global nuclear devastation at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that tactical nukes and small uh, nuclear pockets couldn't be a, a potential. Not saying that at all. But global nuclear catastrophe and event, not going to happen. Wouldn't be a kingdom there for anybody, the evil or the good, to rule over. <laughs> so, Christian, putting your noggin together upon the word of God that you claim to believe. I mean, if you're freaking out and you're a Christian, it just means that you don't believe what the Bible says, plain and simple. 
If you're flipping out over the smallest little details uh, in all the events that are happening in the world today, have you not read your Bible? Do you not believe your Bible? Are you not connected to Christ? Because these things were prophesied. These things are clearly revealed through Scripture that they're going to happen. And there's also clear revelation about things that are not going to happen. Okay, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that there will be rumors of war and that there will be war. Well, praise God, we have incursions right now. Of course, Russia to Ukraine and the reasons why are out the window, but there's an incursion happening right now. And the reality is, is that either, either Russia is protecting itself and its borders from the potential of a NATO invasion into Russia, or Russia's the bad guy and he's coming into Ukraine and he's just trying to take a land that used to be under the Iron Curtain so that he could re revive uh, Soviet Russia. Whatever. What I've heard both sides to this. And the very point is, is that I pray for the believers that are trapped in such rumors and in such potentials of war. I pray for those believers that they, that they uphold their faith, that they stand true, even if it was to the last breath, understanding the crown of life, the crown of glory that they're able to receive from the Father in heaven. So your heart, believer, even in such a chaotic world that we live in to this day, ought not to be troubled. Now let's take a look at that, that word since we keep referencing to it. This word troubled in Greek is tarasso, and, and this word is to be agitated. And, and the, the example given is, is like boiling water. Or, or water that's roiling, so is like a, like the waves of the ocean during the time of a storm, or like a pot of boiling water that's gone out of control and it's going over the edges of a pot. It's to stir up or to agitate. He says, "Don't let your heart get stirred up. Don't let your heart get agitated over all of these events that are happening." Remember. The scripture tells us to be sober-minded. The scripture tells us to be vigilant because we have an adversary that is that is so good at agitating, don't we? His name is Satan because he's the slanderer or the accuser of the brethren. So we, we have an adversary that is excellent at stirring up trouble. We have an adversary that loves to agitate situations within his kingdom and of course his kingdom will never stand jesus even talked about this didn't he he said if i through the power of the devil cast out devils am i not defeating the very purpose but the reality of the of the kingdom of antichrist is is that 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 hatred only knows how to agitate and it only knows how to stir up so you're gonna have a kingdom that rests in in a, a constant state of chaos and that the only enemy which by the way is no offense to those that watch this that happen to be in the democratic party but you've got to admit democrats you've got to admit if if you are a a thinking person that this new young generation of leftists have have taken control of what used to be 
somewhat of a reasoned uh, party. And I've had many conversations over the years about this. Those blue dog Democrats that used to have a base of morality, which this party no longer exhibits. Not even in people like 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 our current administration does it does it is it exhibited. And what you'll find is is that the only there's only two major directions that this current administration, this party, actually thinks about. And don't get me wrong, I think Republicans are pretty close to this as well. There needs to be some, some logic brought back into the whole of the government system on both sides. But it's either spend tons of money that we don't have because people love to spend money and that gets some points, or go to war. We got to fight somebody. We got to have an enemy that, that we can fight so that the people are united with their focus on this enemy instead of the other things that we're planning to do. So it's either dump a ton of money on things that don't matter or fight a war. And you know what? Maybe we could do both. Maybe we could dump tons of money and fight a war. And man, our, our, we'll, we'll be happy. But how does war bring happiness? It brings destruction and sadness and, and devastation. And yet people are happy when they're at war because they have an enemy. They have a clear, defined uh, enemy to, to, to be able to face, to fight, to feel like they've overcome something. And of course, when that doesn't exist, then, then we want to blow money on something. We want to buy something. We want to feel better. And this is the idea, even from our government right now, is that we, in order for the people to feel like they've accomplished something, we either got to blow a bunch of money on things that don't really matter, but that cause the people to think that they've done something amazing, or we got to have an enemy. We've got to have Russia again. We've got to, we've got to have this enemy, which we actually support and defend because we love communism. This is the current administration. We love communism. And by the way, you say, that's oh, not true. Well, just go back 40 years and look at the way in which the communist leaders have been supported by a lot of these knuckleheads in the higher administration right now. And, and you have to back off of that very statement of no way. But we've got to give the people an enemy. And what better enemy to be able to give a people than a, than a restored communist Russia? It's insane, guys. The world is flipped upside down. It's insane. But this is no different from the, from the government of Nero during the time of Rome. This is no different from the gov government of, again, Caligula, who was even crazier than Nero. Nero was just very deceptive and cruel. But Caligula was just flat nuts. This is no different than Comatus. This 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 government is no different even from Titus, who who would would destroy the the temple ultimately and and be carrying the 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 treasures of the temple off with him. That this is this is no different, and that the believers Christians have had to go through communist China. They've had to go through communist Russia. They've had to go through. Uh, Islamic State all through the Middle East and believers in Yeshua, believers in Christ, they, they, they've had to go through such suffering and everywhere in the world. And there, there's this vibrant and powerful and beautiful Christianity that lives within the world. But then you get to the U.S., where we've had no problems, you get to the U.S., where we've had all kinds of freedoms, where we've had all kinds of wealth, where we've had all kinds of of, of things 
and and our faith is just an absolute train wreck because all of a sudden all of these things are happening all over the world. We're paying more attention to that with fear and intrepidation than we're paying to Christ and hope and trust. Believers, what's wrong with our belief? Or should I ask, do we really believe I mean, at least with Thomas in this particular place of Scripture that we've covered in these first five verses of our day today, at least Thomas had a reason <laughs> to, be, to be fearful or to not understand necessarily what Jesus was saying, is that, one, they had grown up all their life understanding the kingdom of God, understanding the establishment of Messiah upon the throne and ruling over the world at the time that he comes, understanding this, but not realizing that Jesus was was the answer of it all and that Jesus had an established point of time in which he was going to do that, but it wasn't this time. He didn't understand. So when Jesus tells him, where, where I'm going, you know, and the way that I, to get there, you know, well, where he's going is back to the throne of his, of, of his kingdom there, and the heavens with his father is where he's going. And by the way, all who have faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ don't have to have their heart troubled because as they leave this earth, it's exactly where they're going to be because Jesus said, where I am, there you will be also. So it's very important to understand that. But also, Jesus is the way. He is the door that we enter in through. He is the very key to the hope of eternal life in heaven. Jesus, 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 he's the way. So when, when he tells them that, that the way I'm going, where I'm going, you know, I'm going back to my, my father's house, you know, my father's throne in heaven, and the way you know, because I am that way, he's about to say that, by the way, and, and you see that he says, because you know where I'm going and because you know the way to get there, your heart ought not to be troubled. Because the way is God and you believe in God, the way is me, believe also in me. He paints the picture of my father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you. So the very purpose why I'm going to leave now that I've fulfilled everything that I've come to do is just so that I can start the construction project to build a place for you right there with me in heaven. How about that? He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And that I will come again. This to receive you unto myself is that point of rapture they'd already been talking about throughout the book of John and that revealed in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15 to 18 that, that in the clouds of the air is where Jesus will receive us unto himself at the last trumpet the, at the shout of the archangel when the dead in Christ shall rise the very bodies that, that had been laid to rest will be brought together to meet their spirits in the, in the clouds of the air alongside of Jesus. And we who are alive and remain like Elijah and like Enoch 
We will be taken up and translated at that moment in our transit from this earth unto those heavens into a completely glorified body with with a complete uh, preparation to be in the presence of God. And, and it's in those clouds of the air that we will be with the Lord. And from that moment, we're never separated from Him again. We're with Him. We are with Him. What are you afraid of, believer? What, what has so encapsulated your heart that you can't rejoice in this reality insomuch that all the things of the earth pale in comparison to it? He said, look, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming again. Where I am, you're going to be. And Thomas, in all fairness, because this is exactly the way we are, Thomas said, Lord, here it comes. How do, we don't have any idea where you're going. And we certainly don't know how to get there. Oh, let's answer the question of the way. Jesus said to him, most most widely used verse outside of John chapter 3, verse number 16. Jesus said to him, I am the way. All right, now you know the way. Okay, it's through Jesus. Now you know the way. It's not your baptism, not your Eucharist, not your sacraments, not your church or your denomination, not, not any of these other things. It is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. Now, now you got it. Where is he going? Unto the Father. And what is the way to get there? Through Jesus, the end. You come to Jesus, you come to life, you have access to the Father. You reject Jesus, you reject life, and you will be separated from God for an eternity. It's that simple. Jesus told Thomas, you know where I'm going. The very mansions that I said I was going to prepare for you at the throne room of my Father. You know where I'm going. And you know the way. Because you know me. Praise God, they've been walking with Jesus for the last three years. Did they not listen to anything that he taught? Did they not hear anything that Jesus said? They had the way, and they knew the place. But they were so caught up by the, the troubled heart. They were so caught up with all the events that were happening in the world in their day, the same exact way we get all kind of wrapped up in the events that are happening in our day, and they lose sight of reality. They lose sight of truth. Look, we know where Jesus is, believer. You know where he's at. You come to faith in Jesus because you know where he is. You know who he is. You know the hope that you have in eternal life. You know it, Christian. Or do you actually have it? So we got to understand that Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the truth. And Jesus said, I am the life. And you're not coming to heaven except through Jesus, period. I don't care what your denomination has said. I don't care 
what what your shamans have said. I don't care what all of these other people have said in the respect that you would give them as being holy figures of whatever. I don't care. The word of God has proclaimed that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that you're not coming to the Father. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to be with God unless you come through Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, then why is your heart troubled? You know the way. And you know the where. If you've got Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day, for the blessing of your word, and ask that you will just give us confidence, give us courage, help us to grow in this truth today. In the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. And we'll catch you tomorrow for uh, verse number six. We'll, we'll kind of get back to that. We'll do a little overview of what we had and try to move down a little further. It's just so much good stuff, isn't it? Especially in these trying times, it's good stuff. God bless.